0: Conan and his new ally Brissa, a deadly Pictish scout, fight back-to-back against a savage horde, only to discover that each success creates a new obstacle to victory over the army of the lost. That's today on Hither Came Conan. my barbarian children. That uh, that was kind of dumb, wasn't it? I don't know. I'm trying something new. Something, you know, something a little more than just a hello and welcome to the King Conan. Blah, 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 blah. So, yeah. Took a shot there, and I don't know if that hit any kind of mark. Let me know. Steven or else, gmail.com or suggest some greetings. You know, like, uh, forsooth, Doth Thou Wear Thine Kilt? I don't know. That's ridiculous. Yeah, that was dumb as well. Anyway, this is Hither Came Conan, the podcast that's never quite trusted magic, especially when its uncle pulls a quarter from out its ear. I'm your host. My name is Steven. And today we're going to look at the second of the new Conan the Barbarian issues from Heroic Signatures and Titan Comics. Issue number two hit the stands on Wednesday, this week, August 30th, and the title of the story is Bound in Blackstone, part two, Homeland. It was written by Grim Jim Zub, art by Ravaging Rob Delatore, colors by Devious Dean White. I feel like I should be doing these credits as if I'm an announcer for a wrestling match, so it was written by Grim Jim Zub art by ravaging Rob Delatore, colors by devious Dean White, letters by riotous Richard Starkings, and the editor was merciless Matt Murray. If anybody knows why there is a period in Matt Murray's name right there after Matt, let me know. Again, Stephen or else at gmail.com because I thought it was just a weird typo or something, you know, when I saw it last issue, but here it is again. So I guess it's not a typo. I would really like to know what that period or mark or whatever it is signifies. Let me know. Steven's got to know, or else I'm going to have to cut off my big toe. Don't you know? Snow. Just looking for words that rhyme, folks. Anyway, this was a, a damn. Damn fine issue. Really enjoyed this one. Woo! This is uh, Wednesday as I'm recording this, and I had a slight bit of insomnia last night and woke up at 1130 after having gone to bed at nine. I've been freaking exhausted lately, so I try to go to bed early. I even took my Ambien, but woke up at 1130, couldn't quite get back to bed, was contemplating taking a second Ambien. When I checked my phone and I had an email showing that my pre-order for issue two of Conan the Barbarian was waiting for me there on my Comixology app. And so, gosh dang it, sitting in my jammies at 1130 at night on a Tuesday, I was reading me some Conan and that made me feel pretty good. It, like I said, damn fine issue. I really enjoyed the first one and the second one brought it up even another level, uh, and that, that kind of stuff just makes me happy. So let's get into it. Let's talk about it. Let's look at it. We start out with a cover from Alan Qua and I'll go through the, the alternate covers that they have here showing in this book. We get cover A by Alan Qua. That's what we're seeing here as the main cover to the book. Unless you bought a physical copy and you got one of these other covers. There's a cover B by Rob Della Torre, a cover C by Gerardo Zafino a cover D by E.M. Geist, and a cover E by Dan Parent. And when we get to the back of the book, we'll talk a bit more about each of those covers. But let's get into the issue first, shall we? And before we get into the story itself, just know that there will be spoilers. This is not a review podcast. I don't do reviews very well. I like to make the joke that I don't know much about art, but I know what I like. So when it comes to stuff like comics, I can tell you that I really like it, and maybe on more of a emotional, primal level, how it makes me feel, but Woo! I'm not one to talk intelligently in regard to uh, what kind of story structure or uh, artistic style or or any of that junk. So this these podcasts are more a commentary on what I'm reading, and so... By doing that, I go through the whole issue and there will be spoilers. So there's your warning, folks. Into the boat. So we begin with the big map, the Nemedian Chronicles, you know, a passage from the Nemedian Chronicles, which, of course, is where we get the title to this podcast. Hither came Conan. And then we get a quick little synopsis of what happened in the previous issue. Now, let me tell you of the days of high adventure. Flip the page, and we are right in the heart of it. Splash page. Conan and Brissa are hiding behind a couple of trees. They're crouched down. They're in shadow. And they are watching the outpost known as Holler's Rome, which is where most of the previous issue took place. And, you know, when I say Holler's Rome out loud... When I'm when I'm reading it off the page, the name makes complete sense to me. But when I say it out loud, it sounds like I'm saying holler, as in holler back. I'm gonna holler at you. Holler down to your brother and tell him it's time for dinner. But no, it's H A U L E R, like you're hauling something. This is a place for what would be known in the old west as Teamsters, you know? This would this is a place for Folks hauling and shit, you know? They, they stop here and have a drink before moving on. But as we know from the previous issue, it was taken over by zombies. Don't say that. What? That. What? That. The dead word. Don't say it. Why not? Because it's ridiculous. All right. Or some form of the undead. They're, they're picked warriors who have, I don't know, fallen under some spell Given their soul away to some evil sorcerer. We don't know why they are in this state. Brissa gives us a little bit more information in this issue, and we'll talk about that when we get to it. But for now, we're just sitting with Conan and Brissa in the shadows as Haller's Rome burns because Conan set it on fire before they made their escape. However, it seems they didn't really escape very far. They just got out far enough that they could hide and they're witnessing these undead warriors, these lost Picts as they finish up killing the last of anyone who's still alive in Holler's Rome. And then they pile all the bodies together. And more than that, in a very unzombie like move, these, these undead lost Pict warriors poke around through Holler's Rome looking for rope. They tie all the dead bodies together in what the issue refers to as a netted mass and then wrapping the ropes around themselves, they go walking away dragging all the dead bodies behind them. And at this point we 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 just we don't know why. All we know is that it's creepy as hell for zombies to be doing something like this. We have to assume that maybe the act of becoming one of these undead warriors is not How it typically is in zombie lore, where you get bit and then you die and you turn into a zombie. Don't say that! We're not using the dead word! I'm going to assume that these are under some kind of control uh, or under the control of some sort of necromancer. And maybe one of their jobs not only is killing people, but then bringing the dead bodies back to the necromancer so that he or she, they can reanimate them and add them to... Their army. Well, Conan and Brissa come out of hiding and they follow this horde of lost picked warriors and their netted mass of corpses. And Brissa wants to attack them. She tells Conan that this would be the right time to attack. You know, they're all, there's not that many left and they're all tied to this heaping mass of the dead and they're moving slowly because of it. But Conan tells her no, He doesn't want to kill them now. While it would be uh, easy to cut them down at this point, he wants to follow them. He wants to see where they are going. He's hoping that if they follow them long enough, it'll take them to wherever this all began, wherever their their headquarters, where if, if a necromancer is behind it, where where they're hanging their hat. you know, the the source of the invasion, and he's hoping that if they can get there, then they can put a stop to the invasion altogether. Brissa reminds him once again that the army of the lost is just too massive. He's not going to be able to to stop it himself, and that if he's counting on his countrymen to help him, and countrymen, I mean Sumerians, because that's where they are. She's telling him that, as she stated earlier, the the army of the lost has probably already invaded moved into Sumeria and has probably already killed a bunch of Sumerian people. Conan doesn't quite buy that. He can buy that the Army of the Lost has invaded Sumeria, but he has fought with his fellow countrymen. He knows that the Sumerians are hard as stone, just like he is, and when their backs are to the wall and they come together, they can defeat any invading army. And so that's what he's expecting to see as they cross over into Samaria. They kind of argue about it a little bit, and they draw the ear of one of these zombie warriors who must be a scout or something. He, he is not with the group that is pulling the corpses. He's been left behind for some reason, and Conan takes them out pretty easily. Two days later, they're still in Aquilonia. They haven't crossed over into Samaria yet. Because if I remember correctly, bending my mind back an entire month, which is not an easy thing to do, Holler's Rome is located in Aquilonia as well, very near the border to Samaria. But this army of the lost that's dragging all these dead bodies alongside or along behind it, they're still in Aquilonia. And Conan and Brissa have been following them for two days. They are nearing the northern border, so they will be in Samaria soon but they stop for the night and rest because while the the army of the lost does not stop they're moving very slowly because they're dragging all these dead bodies behind them and so it's not going to be that hard for conan and brissa to catch up with them later it's you know they they leave quite the trail behind them dragging 20 to 30 dead bodies through the grassland leaves marks it leaves tracks so they set up shop in these rocks and just kind of hang out and have themselves a little rest. And it's here that Brissa somewhat explains what's going on without really giving us too much information. Conan offers to redress Brissa's wounds. Brissa is trying to act tough. I'll endure. I don't need to. And he tells her, yeah, I believe that. I, I think you're strong as hell. But it's pretty foolhardy not to change your dressings now and then, because that's when infection happens and whatnot. And so she agrees with him. And as he's doing this, he's unwrapping these bandages from her arm. And he asks her, tell me of this lost tribe of Picts. What do you know of them? How did they fall foul to such dark power that set them upon this rampage? And she explains that the Picts are not a single people or a single bloodline, that her ancestors were weak in number, but strong in spirit. They broke free from the tribal wars that led the lost clans down paths of shadow. The lust for power at any cost, the worship of the forbidden. They have been corrupted for ages, but now the ambitions of the vile forces commanding them extends beyond our meager borders. So it doesn't tell us a lot, but we know that the reason why she, for example, is not part of the army of the lost she is from a different tribe of Picts who have more more noble ideas in their heads. They, they I don't know, they're, they're not quite the same. They're a, they're a small group, apparently, um, but they were able to keep themselves out of it. Now, that doesn't tell us how the Army of the Lost happened. Somebody somewhere, obviously, we're, we're delving into the darker areas of the mystic arts to try to gain more power. And this is the result. Brissa then tells Conan as she is checking out his job, redressing the wound on her arm. She says that I fear what the future may bring, but for the first time in many weeks, I feel safe, safe here with you. And then she stands up, lets her cloak drop to the ground And says, Give me something beyond chill winds and endless dread, Sumerian. Show me this fire that fuels you. And that's when they get it on. Let's get it on. Let's get it on. Let's love, baby. Aw, yee. Now, I will say that this is not a gratuitous, there's not, um, I mean, it's obvious what they're doing. It's it's not a, they start kissing and then everything fades to black. And then when we come back, they are laying together in animal skins that barely cover their naked bodies. No, you see them doing it, but it's not, it's not gratuitous. Take me, you barbarian. And then of course, afterward, they do have their bit of pillow talk. She tells him that he is magnificent she felt every battle he's fought still raging within him and says that if his countrymen are half as strong as he is, then maybe she was wrong and they will live. He tells her that over the years, as he has wandered around the distant lands of Hyboria, he has often wondered if he should have stayed home instead of wandering about. And she tells him that just in this short time that she has known him, she can tell that he's not one to stay in one spot. Had he stayed home, he probably would have driven himself crazy and been depressed and junk like that. It says that some are driven to safety to build a fortress that shuts the world out. Others cannot help but seek the unknown to embrace the mystery and merriment it has to offer. You are a seeker, Conan, a seeker, slayer, and survivor. And it's far better to have seen the world than to be trapped by it. And then he tells her no argument there especially when i find bright beauty within the dark. But that doesn't cause them to get back into it. He he tried his best line there but they they both i think realize that it's 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 not time for a second one because Let's get it on. Sugar. I don't know. I've always found this kind of stuff kind of silly to a certain extent. Here they are following a horde of undead zombie warriors in the middle of the wild. And you would think that in a situation like that, you would not want to be distracted. You would need your head in the game. You want to be aware of your surroundings just in case some of them sneak up on you and start chewing on your ankles. But no, they instead decide to do the one thing that is a huge distraction. The one thing that once you're in the middle of it, you tend not to know what's going on in your surroundings because all you can focus on is the matter at hand. And I, I don't know. While Conan is a ladies' man and he's bedded many a many a woman, I don't know if this is the right time, Conan. But then at the same time, there's the other part of me that's like, well, you know, they could die tomorrow. They could die in an hour. Might as well get what they can get while they can get it. Like a marine in battle. Sleep when you can sleep, eat when you can eat, because you don't know when you're ever going to get that chance again. So they pull their clothes back on and they they head back out to f- pick up the trail of the army of the lost. It starts to snow, the air gets more cold, gets bitter, and eventually they cross over into Samaria and come across their first Sumerian village, and they find everybody there. Dead. Conan takes the opportunity to pull a tunic. It doesn't look like he's taking it off a dead body. It must be hanging out to dry, but he now has a shirt on, basically. He's been walking around, but with nothing but his fur jockey shorts, which are a bit bulkier than how they have been drawn in those older Marvel issues with Barry Windsor Smith. So it is kind of fun here to think about that. You know, when we started off, Looking at the Marvel comics from 1970 uh, up through where we're at now with issue number 11, Conan has been wearing these fur jockey shorts and no shirt and his sandals. And other than a knife belt with a sword on it and, and, and a necklace and whatnot, that's all he's wearing. And that's pretty much all he's he's got going on now. He's bare chested. He's got a, a a necklace of stones around his neck. He's got his fur trunks on that are a bit looser, a bit more bulky. And then he's got like some kind of boots that are tied up around his, you know, up his calves. And so basically, as the new Conan storyline opens up in this new for this new publishing house of Titan, Conan is dressed very similarly to how he was when he started out in the Marvel Comics run. And eventually here by issue number two, like I said, he finds a tunic and he pulls it on. It's sleeveless. So we're still seeing his muscly calves, his muscly thighs, his muscly biceps. You're so big and so well grown. His muscles are still full on display. And being a Sumerian, the cold doesn't bother him too much. But he does take a moment to put on a shirt. So as they're walking through this village, finding that everybody's dead, kind of confused that the Army of the Lost has not gathered up all these corpses like they did back at Holler's Rome. But they do notice that these undead warriors are off standing in the middle of the village and they're all staring skyward. And then from where they're looking, it's very foggy. It's the, the, the north, uh, Sumeria is a very foggy place, very rocky, cold, gray dour. But through the fog, suddenly comes this bright light. They describe it in the book as a baneful light, unlike any Conan and Brissa have seen before. And it's very bright to their eyes, and they have to shield their eyes. The undead warriors, the lost Picts, on the other hand, raise their swords up and start calling out in celebration toward this light. The book says that Its presence sweeps over the lost picks, and in response, they shriek and raise their stained weapons high. It is a keening wail set to shudder one's soul, a war cry from somewhere untold. And there is a response from the light, a sound so thunderous that it brings Conan and Brissa to their knees with their arms and hands covering their ears. They they, they, they just can't take the sound. And suddenly, Conan has a vision. He sees humanity, but they've been turned into reptile people, basically. And I don't know if that's a warning for the future, that if the people of the, this lost army, if they are able to take control of everything, whoever may be in control of them, the, the goal here is to turn all of humanity into reptile people, For some nefarious reason, Conan also sees in his vision countless people being pushed off a cliff in sacrifice to some dark god. And he is only brought out of his vision when all of the dead Sumerian villagers come to life and attack. Conan and Brissa fight back as well as they can. They're very outnumbered. There's even a moment where a Sumerian who is known as Liam the tree, because he is unbreakable as an oak, this big, tall, mighty Sumerian with a just a great big old axe comes at Conan, and Brissa sneaks up from behind and cuts the guy's head off. It's just a very tense, pitched battle, but Brissa and Conan make it out in the end, and Conan now has Liam the tree's axe with him as they move forward in the direction of where the light came from. The light's no longer shining, but they they move forward to try to find its source. And as they move through the fog, there is a, a, a giant figure in the fog, a giant shape that as they get closer, it becomes more clear. And it's like a big tower of stone. And I'll read to you one last time from the comic, a grand tower thrust up from neath rocky ground, a spire of black stone, That shimmers with unholy power. And then we get a next issue, Forbidden Fortress. So still a lot of questions going on. They really haven't answered much. The only thing we know that maybe we didn't know in the last issue was that Brissa is from a tribe of Picts that were kind of on their own. They were a small group and they maybe didn't have the same moral outlook on life as some of the others. And that's why they weren't swept up into this whole army of the lost thing. But yeah, that was the issue. It was a lot of fun. It's so much better than the first one. The first one was great. This took it up a new level. It just has me even more excited to see what's going to happen next. What does this tower have to do with anything? There is what appears to be an opening in the tower. Maybe this is less just a spire of rock, but an actual tower that someone lives within because there, uh, like I said, there appears to be an opening near the base of the tower with a green smoky light coming out of it. So is this where, you know, is it a necromancer? Is this where the necromancer lives? You got to assume that there's some kind of magic involved and that somebody like a Thothamon or a Gath or somebody like that. I don't know if they can use Gath. Was that his name? think he was a marvel character he was created for the marvel conan books and was even used in a couple of issues of x-men but could this be thothamon you know are they going to do that within the first story arc bring in the wizard thothamon who knows who th- hopefully it's somebody brand new that we haven't met before and uh male female doesn't matter wizard witch necromancer Someone who's obviously powerful enough to create an army of the undead. Or maybe it's a it's a group. Maybe it's a cabal. Who knows? That's That's what's fun about this. You don't know. And I try not to speculate too much because while it's rare, there have been occasions in which I have spent a lot of time trying to figure out what's going to happen next. And what I write in my head is completely different than what happens in the book. And... While most of the time what ends up happening in the book is much better than anything I could come up with, there have been the occasion where my idea was better, and then I just get disappointed. So I just try not to think about it too much. I just try to focus on what's here on the page, live in that moment, and let it fall out of my brain when I move on to another book, and then it'll come back when I get to issue number three. But so far, this is everything I've wanted in a Conan book. The art is beautiful. I mean, it's just top notch. This is, as far as I'm concerned, the top, top of the stack, best Conan artwork that I have had the privilege to be introduced to, to have thrown in front of my face, you know, to 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 creep its way into my head space. I I said it last time. It's very reminiscent of John Buscema. John Buscema is my Conan. When I think of Conan in the comic books, that's who I think of because up until... Just recently over the last few months, when I started reading all the Marvel comics from the beginning, my main experience with Conan books were from the mid-80s and reading a handful of those, all done by John Busema. And so that's that's who my Conan is. And so for Titan to get somebody like Rob Delatore, who I'm not gonna call a Busema clone because he's not. It's, it's like he takes a bit of Busema adds it to his own stuff, and just makes something that is just damn near perfect. Some of the Marvel stuff, when they got the license back in the mid-2000s, late, like the, 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 the 2019s, 2018s, whatever that was, some of that stuff was pretty good. But this, I feel, is just a whole lot better. And we have a different colorist on this one than we did on the last one, and I was a little worried about that. But frankly, I don't know that I would have noticed had they not mentioned who the colorist was. The, the the color's beautiful. Both books, issue one and issue two, the color is gorgeous. It works. It's kind of a, a, a muted... You know, you're in Sumeria, so it's got to be dull and dark and muted and gray and grim. And we get these moments like this final page, which is a splash page, where most of it is black, white, gray, some browns. And then there's this green mist Coming out of this tower that just gives it this eerie feeling that uh, I don't know what we're gonna get when we open up issue number three, but I sure as hell am looking forward to it. What did you guys think? Send me an email, Stephen else at gmail.com. And that's that's all I got. Let's go through the alternate covers here for a moment. So cover B by Rob Delatore. It is a, to me, it's a very classic looking Conan cover. It I don't know if it's supposed to evoke the movie poster from Conan the Barbarian with, I think it's got Conan, Arnold Schwarzenegger holding his sword up above his head and Valeria. Uh, yeah, I don't have it there in front of me, but that's what this makes me think of. But instead it's Rob Delatore's Torre's Conan holding a bloody axe over his head and Brissa, the Pictish scout, is kneeling in front of him not kneeling, kind of a crouch. She's taking a knee like like football players do, and she's got her sword in front of her. Cover C is by Gerardo Zaffino, and it's Conan fighting a bunch of skeletons, and it looks pretty awesome. Cover D is from E.M. Geist, and we have, I don't know if this is a callback to Zakula's daughter, which I don't remember which Marvel issue that was off the top of my head. It's It's one of them between issue one and issue 12, because that's where we're at now looking at the comics on the podcast. And one of those had a character who was the daughter of a wizard and she could turn into a tiger and Conan had to wrestle her to the ground as a tiger. And here is a, a cover, a paint. It looks like a fully painted cover of Conan wrestling a tiger. However, there's the head of a lion superimposed in the background. So I don't know I don't know how to, I don't know. I don't know a lot about Conan. We know that. This is my first real deep dive into Conan, and I haven't been at it for very long. So this could be a homage to something else that I I just don't know at all. Now, cover E by Dan Parent is very most definitely what I would assume is an Archie cover. It's got Conan with a couple of scantily clad ladies, a blonde. The one with black hair sitting to either side of him and they're all drinking what, if it was an Archie comic, they'd be drinking out of a milkshake. They each have a straw and the straw is going into a skull. Uh, the top of the skull has been sliced off and there's some kind of weird green oozing drink bubbling out of the top of it. And that's a fun cover. Which cover did you like the best? Did you Did you pick this up physically? And if so, which cover did you get? Which cover did you want? Which one did you like best? Steven or else at gmail.com. And that's it. That's all I got today, folks. There's no listener feedback. I hope you had fun. Next week, we get back to the Marvel Conan comics with issue number 12 from September of 1971. And that one has two stories to talk about the dweller in the dark and the blood of the dragon. So make sure you come back for that one. And hey, do me a favor before I let you go. If you listen to this show on Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to rate the show. I know I talk about this in the in the ending bit, the, the music plays under, but I want to say it again because the more ratings I have, the easier it is for others to find us. And we need this podcast to get out there to the masses. Woo! You don't have to leave a review over at Apple Podcasts. It's not required. I believe at one time, in order to rate the show, you had to write a review as well, but that's no longer required. All you have to do is tap the star one to five, five being the best. If you do leave a review, however, I'm going to read it on the show, like this one from Demon JK. Always fun and entertaining. This is a great podcast for Conan fans, always highly listenable and thoughtful. Or this one from Billy Dunleavy. Crom. I'm always looking for Conan slash Robert E. Howard content. And so far, Stephen is doing a good job covering the Marvel Comics version of Conan. Plus, going over the novels as well. Those were a couple of, couple of nice reviews. Those were nice to see. But there's one more. And this one is from Joe from Van Eyes. Pshaw. Guy doesn't know anything about Conan. He just talks because he's lonely or something. Gibberish. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Wow. Uh, (laughs) That one was a little mean. But here's the thing. Yeah, I don't know a lot about Conan. I know a little. To say that I don't know anything, that's obviously not true. I know a little, but I don't know a lot, which is kind of the point of this show, Joe. And sure, we're all lonely, but gibberish? Now that's something I take offense to, mister. Gibberish is defined as unintelligible or meaningless speech or writing. In other words, nonsense. And, hey, you're only getting that maybe, I don't know, 25% of the time, 40% tops. So maybe next time, Joe, before you take the time to spew your hatred online, listen to a full episode first. Fuck him. What's the next one say? Woo! Yeah, that one is going to stick with me for a few days. Can't help. But focus on the negative. Lots of good comments that I get every single week. Great emails, a lot of support, two great reviews, one poor review. And that's the one that's going to stick in my craw all week. Anyway, yeah, rate the show, review it. If you're up to it, tell your friends. Heck, you can host listening parties and take a drink every time I say the word point or here's the thing, you know, Or just go out there and tell folks about the show. It's like I used to say on another podcast, spread the word, Thunderbird. Until then, folks, keep your swords close by and never stop treading them jeweled thrones. Bye. Hither Came Conan as a Stephen or Else production. Find more podcasts at com. Questions and comments can be directed to else at gmail.com. Find me online at Twitter, Spoutable, and Instagram by searching for at Stephen or else and join my newsletter, Stephen Says Stuff, at list.justanotherfanboy.com. This is a free substack where I will send every single podcast episode I host right to your inbox the morning that they are released. You can support the show for as little as a dollar a month over at the Patreon by going to patreoncom Orr, And in return, I'm going to do my very best to give you and your fellow patrons podcast episodes just like this one before anybody else. I also encourage you to rate this show wherever available and share this episode with a friend. All links will be in the show notes. He's strong. If I die, I have to go before him. And he will ask me, what is the riddle of steel? And if I don't know it, he will cast me out of Valhalla and laugh at me. That's Crum. Strong on his mountain. Yeah, my God is greater. <laughs> Crum laughs at your four winds. He laughs from his mountain. Enough talk! I just don't think I can move through life knowing that a guy named Steven did this to me.